and my tears came from fear of loss. And I think so much anger, denial, all these things are rooted in some level of fear of loss or fear of wounding. And I've just, every step, every door I've walked through, either it was less wounding than I thought it would be or more embracing. And so I've reached at this point in my life a high level of confidence that I'll be okay. Hey guys, I'm Miles. And I'm Ruthie. And welcome to the Unspoken Podcast, where we believe that saying the unsaid may be the hardest, but one of the most important things we can ever do. Yes. Our authentic self is the best gift that we have to offer this world. But sadly, we live in this culture that tells us that we should hide it. So we would love for you to join us and listen along, and we hope that you might find connection and healing in the courage that no important words go unspoken. Make up fake love, make them all laugh. Someone, someone, take off your mask. It's nice to me. Today on the podcast, we welcome Jedediah Jenkins. Jedediah is an author, a speaker, and one of today's emerging thought leaders on culture, spirituality, race, environment, and how to live authentically. He's also the co-founder of BETA, a socially conscious company helping reduce the toxic impact of over 500 billion disposable cups that end up in landfills each year. He's the executive editor at Wilderness Magazine. His first book, To Shake the Sleeping Self, is an autobiographical novel about a 10,000-mile, 16-month journey he made from Oregon to Patagonia on a bicycle, and it'll be out fall 2018. Jed is one of the most fascinating humans I've ever met. That's about all I could say about him. But Ruthie, I know you would know more about this man than maybe anybody on the planet. (laughs) I am so thrilled to get to share this interview with you guys. Jed is my best friend. He is my teacher. He is my confidant. I have spoken words to him that I've never uttered to another human on this planet, and he holds them um, with love and care and tenderness, and I feel safe and seen. And he is truly one of the most, as you said, fascinating people that has ever walked this planet. And we're just lucky enough to know him, so we're so excited to introduce him to you guys. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Jedediah Jenkins. Well, guys, here we are. Hi, friends. Here we go. <laughs> Hi, Jed. Hi, Miles. Oh, how fun. This thrills me. I'm so excited. Me too. We've been talking a, about I love this. talking about myself. <laughs> And B, I love talking to <laughs> two of my favorite people. Well, you know, I'm your myself. number one fan, and I just sit at you like a puppy dog and stare. <laughs> I just want to hear everything you have to say, and I want to absorb it at all times. So wow. this is my best life. You guys have a fascinating dynamic, and I feel like uh, already a little bit of a third wheel because I no. love you, and I love you. But there's something inseparable about you two that I may ask. I want to get to the bottom a little bit. So I know there's a lot of people curious about it. Mine. But I know we're here to talk about you first, Jed. And <laughs> My mom recently asked me, she goes, Jed, how do you know that Ruthie isn't in love with you? And I'm like, well, she is in love with me. She 100% and, and she's is. she's like, well, you need to be careful with her heart. And I'm like, mom, I, I think I am. I'm very clear. 
But sometimes, you know, do we hook up? Yes. I know I'm a liar. But <laughs> I wish. Dear God, I wish. <laughs> no, Just but kidding. it is <laughs> it is a love. Oh that it's transcends. so special. I don't think it would be as special if you were straight. We'd be married. <laughs> And then we'd probably hate the, each other. Yeah. Just kidding. That's not possible. We'd have the perfect marriage. I am today. curious about it. Say more about that. What's it like to love a gay man in the way that you love Jed? It just feels like the purest, most... It doesn't have the tangles and the vines that it would if it were a relationship. Like, there's no... I And I also know it'll never end. And that's something that's like... There's probably something deep mm. inside of me with other stuff. Like, I don't plan to have a partner forever you know and i i don't date people thinking like this is my forever human i just don't know that i'm wired in a way to have a forever human and so there's something that's so comforting to me and solid and Mm. knowing like you're gonna be my best friend forever Mm. and i don't i literally don't question that i don't care what happens or i don't think i have no doubts about that and that feels so good how do you turn off the physical draw Hmm. i don't think we ever had a physical well, i'm kind of just yeah it's okay. playful like i i wouldn't actually want to be married to him i'm just obsessed with him like i want to spend every day with him because he's my favorite human so that on it the has planet a, not that kind of chemistry right like i've never been like mm. oh my god i want to hump your leg mm-hmm. like, that's, that's, it's interesting though because i think a lot of people see that in both of you well we're both very physical and very Beautiful. like t- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that something I don't hear a lot of conversation about, I hear a lot of people talk about the difference between being in love, r- romance, and friendship. And I have observed that there is a true spectrum between the two in the same way there's a spectrum between genders, sexuality, all kinds of things where they there are two polars, two poles, and then some different relationships fall in different I mean, I've had friendships with straight men that were very much romantic relationships and they were like physical with me in certain ways and like drunken moments and what like, you know, there's just a thousand different ways to be in relationship with another person. And that's why every friendship you see, especially the really dynamic ones feel so sometimes confusing because they're like firing off a lot of different signals in your pattern recognition of like, what are they in love? What are they friends? What are they? And it's like throwing you off. And so I just like, I'm fascinated by watching different versions of that spectrum manifest itself. I feel like our whole culture is on a move towards understanding that everything's a spectrum. And which is why I asked the question, because I think a lot of people, now that people can be more honest about their sexuality mm-hmm. in today's culture, even though there's still bigotry and judgment that happens around it, people can be more honest. I think there can be confusion when you've got mm-hmm. every connection point in chemistry lines up except for this one yeah but then everybody else that sees you just as as your friend i'm like of course these two could live happily ever after (laughs) except for (laughs) right the one big disconnect i've gotten to know you over the last year thanks to ruthie and i feel like a new friend and you're one of the most fascinating people i've spent time with but that's not new Everybody says it about you. As a matter of fact, you just celebrated a birthday. Happy mm-hmm. birthday. <laughs> and I was looking through some of the comments because now we've got mutual friends mm-hmm. and the love that you got on the internet and some of the things that people said about you, brilliant, smart, witty, adventurous, present, warm, safe, 
I could go on and on. The adjectives were long. I hope you got to read some of those. If you didn't, you should. <laughs> and I think they're all true, but what do you think's missing? What is there about you that wasn't said and that we don't know that I'd love to learn? Let me think about this for a second. What was missing? Mm, my immediate answer to that is that I don't have an answer yet, but I'll see if I can work myself into it. If you don't know this already, I think you do. I am a true double extrovert, and meaning I gain energy from being around people and I think by speaking. And so I don't know what I think until I start talking. <laughs> I literally just left counseling and there was like three different times I'm like, I didn't know I felt that until I said it out loud. That is yeah. me. I think I feel very affirmed. I feel very understood and seen. I think by who? By my inner circle and, and by just the fact that I'm a type of public person. Like I share a lot of who I am to people I don't know through my writing. And when I receive their responses and their letters and emails to me, I'm like, Oh, you, you get it. Like I'm, I must be saying something conveying it truthfully. Cause what you're saying about what you see in me is me is how I see myself. Of course, I'm always learning about the ways in which we behave that are unconscious and, you know, indicative of wounds and things like that. So I do feel seen and understood. And that's relatively new in my life to the degree that growing up gay and Christian and then in Tennessee, Nashville, and then responding to that circumstantial wounding with deciding to be the best boy ever, the best Christian ever, the purest, ultimately coming into my sexuality and having my first kiss at age 28. And so like, I just turned 35. So I'm like, in like romance years, I'm about 23. <laughs> you know, so there's like, I'm very, I'm learning a lot about that. And so all that to say, I lived a lot of years with I mean, I think I'm a good person, but it was performative. It was like trying to do the most good to prove that you can be gay and a good person in a world that told me that that was not possible. I want to um, dive in a little bit with you because obviously I know Barb and she's one of my favorite humans ever, your mom, and we've become very, very, very close, but she also doesn't think living a gay lifestyle is in line with what God believes is right mm -hmm. for you, but she loves you deeper. And I mean, in a level that's just so next level and just accepts and loves you, but that one little piece. Mm. And it's so interesting because the way you speak about it and the way you, it's just not anything I've seen because you accept that about her and don't, I never hear anger or bitterness or sadness or anything. And so I just, I don't know. I want to hear your take on it. Like, how old, well, first off, how old were you when you knew you were gay? Mm, I knew that I, there was something wrong with me, quote unquote, or different in third grade. Okay. And then and I what knew. What did you do with that? I didn't know what to do with it. I just kept, I just knew I couldn't talk about it. Mm. The, the story is I was on the back of the school bus talking to some fifth graders, and they were talking about this word I'd never heard of called a boner. And they were like, we get boners. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, what is a boner? And then they explain it. And I was like, oh, 
y'all, I get those. And they were like going around talking about what they got them from. Mm. They were like Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, like other things I remember they were saying. And it didn't, like, I didn't see any incongruity. I didn't know what anything was. I had just arrived on earth. And so I was like, oh my gosh, when I watch bodybuilders on ESPN and they like cocked their heads like confused dogs and just started He la- said it out loud. Yeah, I was talking to them. Wow. And they cackled hmm. and they were like, that's weird. But we were all so young and naive that no one even knew to call me a name. They didn't have a name for it. Mm-hmm. They just knew it was weird. Um, yeah, even third, among, in third grade. Yeah. And so they just laughed. And so I was like, oh, hmm. Whatever makes me get a boner is embarrassing. And so I can't talk about it. And it wasn't really until seventh grade that I knew what it was called. That hmm. that was like a type of person, potentially. And I was like, maybe I'm that type. But then even then, I didn't come out until senior year of high school because I was like, well... Who knows? This will go away, hopefully. Who was the first person you came out to? I came out to my school guidance counselor because I was so afraid. I was like, it is literally her job to not judge me. And so I was like, at least this person is paid to to not judge me. So it's like, that's my only safe place to go to. Yeah. And how did she respond? Or he? I was sitting in her office during my like uh, study hall. And I was so afraid to say the G word. I couldn't say it. And I just sobbed. I remember sobbing. I was like, I have something to tell you. And then I just start crying. And I think I laid on that couch and just sobbed for what felt like half an hour. And she like came and held me. And I don't, she did not know what I was going to say. And I finally, I tried to, I remember trying to say gay and I couldn't. So I had to say, I don't think I'm attracted to girls. Hmm. And then I was like, I don't think I ever will be. Hmm. And I remember it was like, it took her like aback a little bit. And it wasn't a warm, I went to a Christian school, so it wasn't, it's okay. You. It was more like, wow, like that's a burden, you know? I remember believing with 100% certainty that I would lose all my friends. 100%. Like, I was like, wow, they're, because I had mostly male straight friends. Like they were all athletes and they would like the football players and the baseball players of my school and I would be in the play and they would all come and sit front row and cheer for me. It was like such a cute little movie. And I was like, and we would just, we were constantly together and like having pillow fights and like doing backflips into the pool and all this. And I was like, they're never going to have a sleepover with me again. They're never going to talk to me. They're going to think I'm a pervert. So I was just crying because I was like, I'm about to lose every single thing I love. And have you cried about it since? Mm-hmm. Over, like, I cried when I was in law school and deep, deep, deep in my Christianity, like as deep as I ever went. Um, I was a Bible study leader. So I was like 25 at this point, mm, 26. And... I was a Bible study leader of these high school boys. And I had told the youth pastor of this church I was gay, but I was not acting on it. I never had, and I never would. So my whole like heart was poured into these boys. And then the parents found out I was gay and 
just through a whole hullabaloo, I got like fired from being their youth leader. And that was the last time I cried Mm. about it. Just in general, you keep an empathetic disposition towards opposition and judgment. Mm. What do you think is in you that supports you to be able to do that? I mean, it's probably both nature and nurture. I think I'm more of a cerebral person than a urge person. I really like to understand things. And maybe that comes from realizing I was different in middle school. And I've always wondered, and maybe you know this, or some listener knows the science of it, but I've always been fascinated by the disproportionate amount of artists, actors, theater people who are gay and men specifically. And I've always wondered like, why are so many artists gay? And I, and I was like, well, I'm artistic. And that may come from when you wake up into the world and you realize you're different and the world isn't made for you, you begin creating your own world to feel safe Mm -hmm. or you begin trying to understand the world better. So you study it, you look at it, you rearrange it, you see how it works. It seems like you just give people the benefit of the doubt and make a generous assumption that people are doing the best they can with what they have or what they've learned, which is not easy to do. Cause I, in my world, you would be somebody I would perceive who I would say has done their work, meaning mm-hmm. you've reconciled something that makes your different. Okay. And it's not attached to your worth and your value. And there mm-hmm. are so many people, especially in the uh, LBGT community, Q community that, um, have not had that opportunity to reconcile that piece. That's why I think this conversation is so important, much less have permission to talk about it. Mm. But often I see young 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings that are out or not out, and there's so much trauma attached to their story. And my tears came from fear of loss, and I think so much anger, denial, all these things are rooted in some level of fear of loss or fear of wounding. And I've just, every step, every door I've walked through, either it was less wounding than I thought it would be or more embracing. And so I've reached at this point in my life, a high level of confidence that I'll be okay. Hmm. And so that makes me fearless a little bit. joke together all the time I'm always like you are like an alien like I don't know anyone like you even remotely like you like I think you're the most loved human I've ever gotten to experience in my life like everyone wants a piece of your time everyone wants to be in your presence everyone wants to hang out with you everyone wants to be your friend and one of the things I think is so interesting is like we joke about it but it's the dead truth I'm like try to offend him like you can't. Well, it just like I, I have empathy for someone's perspective, mm. but if they're butthurt or, or anxious or whatever, like I, I can't, I'm like blind to it. Like I have friends who are very sensitive to those things and we'll, we'll be at a dinner party or a conversation and we'll leave and they'll be like, wow, Molly was so upset. And I'm like, what? No, she wasn't. We had a great conversation. She was like, oh. She was trembling under, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. 
<laughs> I mean, and so Dude, I, it's interesting because I think that that goes both ways, and it can be a gift and possibly a burden sometimes. Because my experience in when I hear I don't ever get offended, I have, a little flag goes up mm. um, because I say, "What part of you is guarded that we don't know about?" Mm. That's a great question. Okay. I am offendable, but it, it, uh, it stems from where, for me, what did I feel in my like coming of age years that I lacked? So I'm not offendable in, in terms of life circumstance, career, personality, these things I feel confident and comfortable in, but I could be like, I could be very offended if someone that like I cared about told me I was ugly or incapable of doing something or gross or because these things were like when I was this like absolutely acne ridden, weirdly shaped, overweight kid and all my friends were like Adonis gods and all, I was like very insecure about that. And so I became the funniest person I could be to like provide a value to them. And you can, you are open in a way where you can feel the pain if that happens externally. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it just... I think as a writer, I, I do love the power of words and I respect the power of words. And I think as an extroverted enthusiast, I avoid pain. Mm. And so I don't like giving pain power with words. And so if I am offended or I do get my feelings hurt, I probably don't talk about it very much. And how do I avoid pain how? I, I just avoid pain by... Well, I probably avoid pain by controlling conversations so that they don't go a direction I don't want them to go. That's pretty insightful. The reason I asked the question is because I grew up, I didn't know a gay person until mm -hmm. I went to college. I grew up in a small town in the South, and I'm sure there were gay, I know there were, but you know, it wasn't allowed, people didn't talk about it, so therefore, I just didn't understand it. Me neither. And now, I have a lot of gay friends and people who work with me and work for me. And I sometimes when I'm hearing about some of what they've been through, I have, I feel more empathy and pain about their circumstances than they feel. Hmm. And I just noticed when I was hearing that you jumped right through the kid on the couch. Hmm. I was crying and, and I was wanting to, I was wanting to hug him. What would you say to the kid now? If you were the counselor that you came to, what would you say? I would say, I mean, if I was me, omnipotent and knowing what he was thinking, I would say, you don't think it's okay to be gay and be good or to love God and be who you are. But I would say actually what a mentor said to me, which actually is the, is the first domino, is this was freshman year of college when I was figuring it out and diving deep into Christianity, like next level. And he said, I'm not going to tell you what I think about this because the Bible is very confusing about it. I mean, it's, it seems clear, but when you go deeper, it gets confusing. So he said, don't ask what other people think, ask if what God thinks. And like, that's all I want you to do is just always ask yourself, what does God think? And I don't even know at this point, if he meant to say, if he meant to lean on my inner shame, to like lock me away from it? I don't know. But 
whether this was in his intended consequence or not, it made me lean on my, that like Emersonian self-reliance of like, I've never felt like this was a sin. Like, I believe that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with the other sins as I understand them. It feels man-made. It feels absurd. And so I, w- I was always like, God, this doesn't feel like you, but I'm not going to presume that my subjective experience is more true than 5,000 years of Judeo-Christian writing and history. So I'm going to take my time, you know, and I'm going to let you answer the question for me. So I would just tell my little self, it's okay. You are good. You are loved. And just don't worry about what man says. Worry about what God thinks. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Um, How old were you when you talked to your mom for the first time about this? She asked me about it. I think I was 20. What did she say? My sister was getting married and... I was in California and I was on the phone and she was talking about the wedding and it was like her first kid getting married. And she goes, Jed, do you think you're ever going to get married? And I said, I don't know, mom, that's complicated. And she was quiet for a minute and I could tell, I was like, Oh God, here we go. She was like, are you gay? And I was like, yes, I think so. And she was like, I've been praying about this since you were two. Wow. What? I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> That's, wow. Yeah. Two. Moms, no. Moms, no. Yes. Wow. And how did she meet you there? Like, what did she, how'd she respond? You know, I think my f- heart was beating so fast. I was hearing it in my ears. I'm not sure. But I just remember, I think she cried a little and she said, well, do you think it's a phase or you think it's, and I'm like, I don't think so, mom. And she was like, "Um, well, I'm going to pray that God brings a woman into your life that ignites your passion. And I was like, and I was like, that's a great idea. If it works, I would love that. I would love to not be. childless and alone or like a pariah in my community. That would be awesome. So like, Lord, please deliver said woman. See, that is important. That's what makes you uniquely you that I think a lot of people could borrow from because you didn't take what she said as a threat. Because I've heard people that had that response and that was a trauma that kid carried for a long time. Hmm. They immediately heard, I'm not going to accept what you're telling me. I'm going to try to pray that you're somebody different. And you somehow sliced through that and saw that in her way, she was trying to be kind. Well, that's pretty much why I think we've maintained such a strong relationship all these years later is that I know that that is her loving me. Like she, she had me in 1982. That means in 1984 or five, she started seeing that I was behaving in a way that was different. Right about then in the next few years, AIDS sweeps America. Mm. And on the news, cover of Time Magazine, Jerry Falwell, the the televangelists are saying this is God's cure for the reckless sex and homosexuality of the 70s. This is God responding to what is ungodly. And my mom is consuming that on Sunday morning. 
And then what, all the while she's holding this baby that she fears is like this. And so she's like, is my child cursed? And what does this mean? And, and then she's seeing the gay lifestyle portrayed, whatever that looks like on TV, similar to you. She doesn't probably know very many or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's, can you imagine how scary for your child to be a thing that you've believed for decades is toxic, morally destructive, deadly, and won't give you grandbabies and will be so hard for your child's life. Like they'll live in hardship, probably be diseased, you know? So do you feel accepted by her? I feel accepted by her. That part of me, she doesn't accept. She doesn't endorse. I don't think that she rejects me or even if one day I'm married to a man, I don't think I will be rejected, but I do know it will be hard for her. Will she come to the wedding? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would have a wedding with family Hmm. because I've been to, I'm 35. I've been to 4,000 weddings and the, it's so interesting for the bride and bride, bride and groom, whoever, the electricity of mixing family, friends, fun, booze, scripture, dancing, party planning. That is such a confluence of energy. And it's supposed to be the best day of your life. And often for many people, it's not. It, they say it is, but you can see in their eyes. They're like, this is the best day of my life. But it's not. I remember when 2014, when the Supreme Court sided with gay marriage. And I remember seeing... um a kid on Facebook hugging his, like a gay kid, gay guy I know, hugging his mom and just celebrating. And I remember feeling profound sadness in that moment of just like, wow, that's a part of me I can't share with her. Really, as Chad's best friend, when you hear that, what do you feel? I feel profound sadness. It's so interesting because she and I have had conversations about it that y'all haven't mm-hmm. had you know and there's time I remember last summer when we were at the lake house like I asked her how old was Jed when he came out to you and and she said well you know I struggle with that and my belief system says you know that it's wrong and I remember you walking around the corner and you knew we were talking about it um and there was just this part of me that I mean, I was watching having, I wanted to like, my heart was breaking. You know, I felt. I think that's what makes it hard is because when you talk about Barb, who I've had the pleasure of meeting as well, don't know her near like, you know, but she's an angel. Oh my gosh. And she's, a, she's an and amazing one of my favorite humans. woman. And I should be pissed at her hmm. because of this, because most people who would have that position, I, I have frustration and anger towards hmm. because of my position around it. But I, for somehow you have found a way to teach us how to love somebody, your own mother, that disagrees with a part of your lifestyle mm-hmm. unconditionally. Well, that's, I mean, isn't that what the whole world is grappling with right now? And especially our country, like to be able to be in relationship with someone like, I mean, my mom is politically conservative and I am definitely not. And so if I needed her to be in agreement with me, on this long checklist of things, we would probably not make it very far down until we would have to walk away. And yet, the thing that's different about my mom 
that I think makes it work, plus whatever ingredients I bring to the table, is that she is loving first, righteous second. Because I think she knows she doesn't know everything. Like I think when she answered that, I struggle with that. Yeah. You know? I, I appreciate even that wording. Right. Because it's like, you know, she's like, I struggle with it. Yeah. And a struggle. Like the and- Bible that I read tells me it's wrong, but I struggle with it. You know, like this is something like with her upbringing and her lifestyle, it's been taught to her, you know, yeah. and then she knows you. And we literally, the amount of time she and I alone have sat and we are like, all we do is gush about you. Like <laughs> literally, that's what we, it is absurd. We just sit there and bleed our love for you. Like it's, it's overflows in every ounce of her pores like it's just it's the most incredible and she does that everyone that you love she loves so deep like she leads with love yeah mm-hmm. and that's exactly how i would describe you hmm. yeah maybe it comes from i mean parental modeling is the ultimate teacher it doesn't really matter what they say it's what they do and i yeah. watched my mom love and my dad my mom is pure love and my dad is almost pure curiosity so my dad is non-judgmental and like he will talk to anyone because he just wants to know. And that's you. Yeah, I'm like kind of a combination and I think my parents taught me that we don't know everything. So like move gently in this world. Well, there's been so many times we've talked about this too like where we'll be somewhere and someone will say something that's so off color and crazy and just it sounds insane to me that I literally like get me out of here. Whereas you don't get offended by it, you're like now tell me why you think that like and it's just this like I am literally the most excited to read your book to like I I know that I am going to gain so much more knowledge about this world <laughs> and be more excited about it you mm. know and I'm so thrilled that others have this opportunity like I know I'm the luckiest SOB in the place that I get to be one of your best friends but I love that like and why I'm so excited that Miles and I are doing this like we want you know, to give this little pocket of time um, for the world to get to see like our interactions with our friends. Like I learn every time I get to be around you, you know, and we get to glean so much goodness. Like told your mom, this is the first time we ever hung out. I'm like, I believe that Jed is going to be a voice in our generation that'll change it. Like, I really believe that this is just the, like, it hasn't even started and it's already incredible. Like you, I just, feel like the luckiest human that I get to be a bystander and watch it and get to do it, do so much (laughs) stuff beside you. It's like, it's really fun. It's an honor. I think going back to what Ruthie was saying about being unoffendable or even my mom not offending me or causing me wounds. I don't know if it's Oprah who said it or what's the lady who fixes your life? Ileana. Oh my gosh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Oh, she's phenomenal. What's her name? Illy. I don't know. Anyway, One of them said this, and it's, you teach people how to treat you. And I think that I'm just extrapolating an idea that I've never thought of until this moment, but I am very complimentary of people when I see beauty in them. And so is Ruthie. I mean, and just, I just say it quickly. And I think I've cultivated affirming friends. Like we just affirm each other and constantly. Of, and we're so proud of each other. And I think, and I've, and I've done that for a decade. 
Well, one of the things, I mean, you and I have talked about this, you and all three of us have spoken about this at some point separately, but I think the, you know, we have friends of all different types. Like there's, you know, it's such an incredible, there's so many different types of humans, but I feel like that same little line, that string that connects all of our closest humans, where you look at them, you're like, you are one of my humans is we all know that something so much bigger than us loves us mm. so fully and accepts us so fully. And we want to just be mirrors of that love to everyone else that we encounter. Mm. And because we know how loved and how treasured and adored we are, which what a luxury and a privilege that we know that right. we aren't looking for it in other people to fulfill us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we can go into a relationship with someone and actually like genuinely want to know them for who they are, not to need something from them. Mm. I don't, I'm not going to be kind to you and nice to you right now because I want something from you. It's like, no, because you are worthy of being known and you're valuable. It's big. And uh, basically you're describing community and you yeah. guys are master curators of community all you got to do is watch you both online and you can see how much you love your humans that's a line that you both say Mm -hmm. a lot of love my people there are a lot of people so it's one takeaway there are a lot of people out there who don't haven't found that Mm -hmm. who are really lonely and sometimes they'll hear us love on each other and affirm each other and celebrate each other's life and they want they're desperate to have someone speak into them in that way Mm. what would be a word you'd have for them Sometimes I feel disingenuous because I don't know how things happen. But I will posit that if you behave out of lack and instead of abundance, then the lack is in the driver's seat and and absence is naturally insecure. And so when you go into a friendship, you meet somebody, a coworker, you go whatever, and you are so desperate for a friend. There isn't actually an exchange of warmth and love. There is a thirsty clawing for satiate my needs, satiate my loneliness. Please, 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 are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? And I don't know how to convince somebody that they are worthy, but I do know that you make friends when you are a good friend. People listen to you when you listen. It's like you have to give it away before you get it. You have to. So part of it is if, is taking an opportunity to put down the microscope, pick up the mirror. If you're feeling a little disconnected, do some inventory and take a look at who you are, kind of who you're becoming and how you show up in relationship. What I don't want is for people to, because we're going to create a love fest on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't also doesn't mean that people aren't going to still fail. Like we're going to all fail each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to mess up. And when you give out first, like, it doesn't always, everyone's not going to meet you there. You're, you know, like it's vulnerable and it's scary and you will be hurt. That's like the one guarantee we can all give. <laughs> yeah. I, I am also very, I avoid comparison with my whole life. And I think that comes from being very well affirmed that I am strange my whole life. Like you are different and your name is Jedediah Jenkins. You are weird. And so I've always felt unique to some degree. But it's like there are things where comparison is the thief of joy, right? So if I sat around and like I was like, my life would be so much better if I had hair like Miles. Like I have baby orangutan hair and it's not cute. And that's just what it looks like. But I'm like, but I have other things that Miles doesn't have. And I am affirmed for like everybody has their own thing. Everyone does. And maybe you have 10 things that are your things. And it's like. 
what you have. I mean, this is so like we hear this our whole life, but things are cliches for a reason. It's like what you have is unique to you and is needed in a community of friends. So this feels like a good place to ask this, and I've got a few questions we want to end with. But I don't want to ask, I don't want to leave without asking because I know a lot of people listening to this are in anticipation of and really curious and excited about your book. Yeah, me too. With me being me one too. of them. <laughs> Wait, can I gotta say one thing? Like last month, we were going to a wedding, and I was out in LA, and we were sitting at a coffee shop working, and I look. I've only update. I'd seen Jed cry once in my entire friendship with him, and we're together a lot. And I look up and he's crying. And I was like, boo-boo, what are you crying about? And he goes, I just read the last chapter of my book. Wow. <laughs> like, it's and good. It's, and he's like, and I'm so touched. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, can I read? He goes, no. And it was about you and Barb. Yeah. Hmm. It's a sweet moment. Like a life-changingly sweet moment. Yeah. I make she's up. the hero of the book, by the way. Wow. I mean, I'm the hero, but she's the other hero. Hmm. And all its complexity. I make up that it's going to be, because you said I'm writing this is something I would have wanted to read myself, which I think is beautiful. I've heard you say that in another interview. I make up it's going to be you. It's going to be witty, connected, fun, a range of emotions and everything in between and adventurous. Tell us something inside track because we're your, we're your friends. Yeah. What's something about the book that nobody knows yet that you can reveal here? Well, I, I think people will be surprised that there's more storytelling in it than I do a lot of like pontification and like just telling you what I word. think. Just like I just tell you what I think. Mm -hmm. I'm not always telling a story. And my editors are like, you can't just tell people what to think. That's actually really annoying. And I'm like, oh, gotcha. Whoops. <laughs> la la la. So I, I've like tried to tone that down, but still keep my characteristic like analysis of life and the weird way that I see it. Um, but it's about the friendships that formed me. It's, it's about this conversation, really just the transition in my life from tradition and like pleasing others to understanding self and pleasing how I see God. Awesome. I think people will be surprised by how often I hitchhiked and like got on a bus. They're like, you bike 10,000 miles. I'm like, well, sometimes I just didn't. I was like, this desert is my enemy. I'm not biking anymore. I need a glass of wine. <laughs> and I'm very honest in the book. I'm like, then I got wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. When, when's it coming out? September next year. So September end of the summer. Okay. There's such an interesting thing with books where it, like new memoir authors are released either late spring or late summer only. And so it was like, I had to be in one of those two windows and we thought spring was too quick. So. Well, until then, um, your Instagram feed is often like a book, but it's my favorite kind of book because it's <laughs> short yeah. and insightful. And so I know a lot of people, everybody that probably is listening to us knows about you and follows you, but if they don't, you should. You'll be blown away every day by the nuggets that you put out there. At Jedediah Jenkins. <laughs> it's important. And I'm, I can be pretty rowdy on my Insta story. So <laughs> that's my favorite TV show. That's true. All right. What is, what's your current dialogue like with God? My current dialogue with God is I am very receptive. I am like hearing, I am trusting. I don't really anthropomorphize God, even though that's also not true because I do that to everything. Like if my car doesn't start, I talk to it. 
I'm like, what are you thinking? You know, so in that same way, the creator of the universe I speak to. Area of your life where you'd like to see progress? I would like to see progress in my uh, discipline. I would like to produce more. I think whenever I sit down and really think hard and write on a project, I really enjoy that. But my brain requires a lot of play to like, it has to jiggle around a lot for all the like dust to settle at the bottom, you know? So I like keep it jiggling, which I think is necessary, but I would like to be more productive. Which historical event would you most like to witness? I mean, I, I'd be scared to go too far back in time. I don't want to get like speared or anything. Um, but if I had like a safe bubble, I would take 72 hours right before the asteroid destroyed dinosaurs. If that's what happened, I would like to just look around, be like in a safe bubble, look at dinosaurs and then watch the world blow up. Oh my gosh. It's like Michael Bay. <laughs> Do you feel justice or forgiveness is more important? Justice. I think they are very equal, maybe purely equal. Well, so equal that I don't know what I think, but I just, I feel like, Forgiveness can be demanded by the unjust to appease their fragile ego. I mean, I feel about that with just like being white in America and being like, we already dealt with this, people of color. Forgive us. Why are you so upset? Like Jesus preaches forgiveness. Y'all are in church. And they're like, yeah, we forgive you, but like lock it up. Yeah. Hmm. And, and so I think that question is a scam. <laughs> I think it's both. Yeah. So both. Yeah. All right. So if you were president, how would you address the problem? We talked about this earlier, but how would you address the problem of bigotry and judgment towards the LBGTQ community? Mm. I think that the president's primary role is, is, is as a model and a figurehead, which is why I'm so distraught right now is of what's being modeled. Um, personally, that's not my ideal for America. So I would, I would really seek to model inclusion um, and the broad spectrum of inclusion, just showing the different ways to be LGBTQ. And so I would just speak about it often and I would tell my story. I just mm -hmm. think like, I mean, back in the day, it used to be a kid's dream to grow up and be president. Hmm. Well said. What would be your prayer to the world? To seek first understanding. I think that would be, that would save a lot of people's grief. Hmm. Okay, so for our last question, what was never said to you as a child that you needed to hear? You know, I think that my life has been as rosy as it has because I was receiving mixed signals. I needed to hear from the church that you could be good and be gay. I needed to hear from the church that God had a plan and I wasn't a mistake. But I heard from my parents, you are perfect as you are. You don't have to be anything but who you are. We don't need an athlete. We don't need an artist. We don't need a politician. Follow your curiosity. Follow your bliss. They taught me that, which maybe if, if they struggle with same-sex marriage or they struggle with my interpretation of scripture, they unknowingly planted the seed of 
my confidence in the pursuit of who I really am. And so I heard that you are perfect as you are. Go forth and be loved because you are loved unconditionally by us. And so my battle has always really been with society, Mm. with culture, not with my family. Mm. Well, yeah. And like with even saying that, it doesn't necessarily have to be from your parents. I was perusing through your uh, Instagram and uh, I started, I was going to try to find, there was a couple of posts that are quotes that you'd written and I was grabbing some Jed quotes that I thought <laughs> I might drop some with. And, but then I got fascinated by the pictures because the pictures are very good. And uh, I printed two uh-huh. relevant to this question that I think were two of my favorites. But <laughs> These are two pictures of me between the age of eight and I would say 11. Um, one of them I'm standing in a creek holding a little net where I would catch minnows. I was really good at that. I'm wearing a Hardee's t-shirt. Sweet. If you know what that is. And the other one, I am on my first day of school. I don't know how old, maybe 12, 11. And I have a T-Rex on that is being struck by lightning in outer space, which is basically me. Um, and I'm giving this weird Mona Lisa smile. But yeah, I love this little boy. I think he was happy. He was curious. I like, there's that moment before you wake up to the concept that other people can see you when you're 10 and you just like what you like. Mm. You like dinosaurs. And I loved classical music. And I was so, I just did my own thing. And then you get to middle school, you go through puberty and whatever that biology and chemistry that happens where all of a sudden you care what the popular boys and girls think. I know the moment it happened for me, I switched schools in seventh grade, but um, this kid didn't care (laughs) at all. Mm. What would you like him to know now? That there will come a time where he will care and then he won't again. What he loves now, he'll get back, even if he thinks he loses it for a minute. Wow. That's awesome. So what you love now, you'll get back. Mm. That seems like a closer, a mic drop. (laughs) Thank, Thank you. you so much. Oh, Y'all. What a gift. You're a gift. This is the cheapest therapy I've ever had. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was going both ways. We're grateful I for you. you we appreciate you. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. Yeah. I'll come back anytime. We'll have you. <laughs> make up fake love. Make them all laugh. Come on, someone. Take off your mask. It's nice to me. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. We know that your time is valuable, so it just means the world to us that you would spend your time and energy with us. We are so grateful. And if you want to learn more about The Unspoken Podcast, please go to theunspokenpodcast.com for show notes and information about the guests. And please follow us on Instagram at The Unspoken Podcast. We'd also love for you to subscribe to the podcast and help us spread the news and share this because we cannot wait to show you what's up next. And we will be with you all again soon.